Welcome players to the Triple Play Fantasy Baseball Show. This is the show that's trying to help eliminate the Houston Astros from the 2020 playoffs. It's D Mendy here, welcoming you back to another episode of The Fridge of Fantasy Baseball Goodness. I'm joined by a man of mystery, Art Tornabeni, a.k.a. Little Cheesecake, the LC. LC, how's it going? Uh, well, this week, my youngest son started saying Dada consistently. Actually, today was when he started doing it, so so that is awesome. He also found his penis, and he's always touching it. <laughs> That's he's got it. It's 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 been a good week. Like <laughs> you got to give him a bath. His hands on his penis the whole time. He's he's a manscaped man. That's uh, he, he's he's growing up to be a manscaped kind of guy. <laughs> See, Art, you you put our sponsor in there. You talked about him touching his penis. Talking about him saying data. All all my emotions are all over the place. I don't know even know how to feel about this. That's awesome. Uh, and joining us also here is the local bad boy. The one who uh, walks the walk and talks the talk. That's Eric Mendelson, a.k.a. The Doc. What's going on? That, mean, that might be the nicest thing you've ever said to me. I'll take pride in being a bad boy. Yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking when I wrote that, I was like, man of mystery and the local bad boy. Those those could stick for a little bit. I like kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know if you, I don't know. Maybe you're not the bad boy since you're questioning it. Uh, yes. You know, maybe, maybe old me was a little bit more bad. You know, with Rona working from home. Ain't, ain't much trouble to get into. Yeah, it's facts. Uh, well, today we got a nice little show for you. We got the Pitching Carnival. And what we're going to be doing, we're looking at a season of 60 games of data. It's hard to make assessments about players and their performances. So we're going to be looking at the toughest pitchers to rank for 2021. You know, the pitchers that make you slam your head against the, de- the desk when you're trying to figure out where you want to rank them, how you want to draft them. We want to help you with that today. And we brought in some the big guns. We brought in a, a guy from a, a big pod, Mr. CBS man himself, Frankie Stamps, Frank Stample. He's going to help sort through this mess that we got going. After that, we're going to go to our bullpen for a question of the week. Which active MLB player has the best chance of breaking a record? And our mystery game coming in to shut the door. But first up to bat is our news at notes. Update on the MLB playoffs. The Rays are up three games to two on the Astros. And the Braves are up two to one on the Dodgers. The game currently tied two to two in the middle innings. Cheesecake, what are your thoughts on these championship series so far? I'm just really impressed with the, with the Braves so far. They, uh, they're a really resilient team. They fight hard. They've played the Dodgers really tough. I mean, I've come on here and I've I, I've stated that, you know, I, I don't I root against the Dodgers and I still do that because they spend the most money and I and I just love seeing them, you know, spend all that money and not win every year. Uh, but they are a really good team, really tough out. They've been at, at that tough top stage for five six seasons. Uh, the Braves have really impressed me so far. Just, just, just standing toe to toe with that mammoth Dodgers team. Yeah, I think everybody's enjoying seeing the underdog Rays. I mean, they're not underdogs, but they're the, everybody wants them to beat the Astros, and they feel like underdogs. And uh, the Braves being the Dodgers, I think I'm here for a Braves Rays World Series. That would be pretty awesome. Um, Doc, how do you feel about it? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I think the Astros were down three nothing, and a lot of people wrote them off and. I was like, all right, you know, clean sweep by the Rays. I'm down for that. The only way I'd want to see the Astros make the World Series is if the Dodgers win, so that it can be like the most anticipated, spiteful World Series. Like, there's going to be no shaking of hands. But if it's not that, I would much prefer Rays Braves. 
Yeah, interesting enough. I They're good series so far, which is all you can ask for. Um, next bit of news here. Don Mattingly was named NL Manager of the Year by the Sporting News. This isn't the official award, but um, it is gets us talking. Doc, is this a good choice for the NL Manager of the Year? Yeah, the Marlins were one of like like favored to finish with like a bottom three record. And even with expanded playoffs, they made it. And they beat out the Phillies, the Nationals, and the Mets, all who were expected to finish above them. So a lot of people thought that they were rebuilding, and they have a lot of young talent. So kudos, Donnie B. Did you say Donnie B? Yeah, Donnie Baseball. Oh, good reference. Cheesecake? I, he's the logical choice because they, they were not thought of as as a team that would compete for a playoff spot. But there was a lot of good – managing going on in the National League this season. A lot of deserving guys. Uh, David Bell with uh, Cincinnati, that team was left for dead halfway through the season, and they clawed back and got that last playoff spot. Um, I also thought the Braves, uh, Brian Snitker did a great job with all the injuries they had to their pitching staff. Mike Soroka went down. Freed even went down for a little bit. They lost Felix. They lost uh, uh, um, Cole Hamels. Um, you know, there's, they, they were, they were running out former prospects and bullpen games. And he did a great job massaging that team through a, a very intense short regular season. So, but, uh, but, you know, when a team like Miami comes up and makes the playoffs, they, they're, they're the lot, their manager's a logical choice. I, I, I like how you put losing Felix Hernandez and, like a 37-year-old Cole Hamels are like huge blows to a team. Well, they signed them to bolster the the staff and never never got to use them really. Um, like they were hoping that they were the innings eaters or and you know, and Hamels was decent for stretches with Chicago last year. Felix was just a guy they thought might eat some innings for him, but he never actually took the field. Uh, I I I mean, I forgot there were other injuries they had that that don't come to mind. It, uh, it seemed like they were losing pitchers every other week, but uh, you know he, they they have a lot of depth, a young depth, but uh, but they had to bring it up and use it, and it performed. And you know, hats off to Brian Snitker for that. Agreed. And the last bit of news here, exciting news: there's a new kid on the block. His name's a Rosarena. Yes, this kid is for real, man. I mean, uh, I'm interested. If, are you guys buying into him? Because, I, I mean, I think he's here to stay. I think he's here to stay, but his ADP is going to shoot up draft boards. And I love the kid. I just can't take him how early I think he's going to go. Uh, the two early mocks, he's going around pick 100. That's a – well, at least that's where he was. Yeah, around pick 100. And I think, you know, his postseason performance has made him go up. But it's like he's going around guys like uh, uh, Eddie Rosario. He's going around, you know, Nick Castellanos, like guys who've been doing it for a few years. And, yeah, he's he's got good upside. But, you know, let's 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 remember there are a lot of guys who have great postseasons and come back the next year and get pushed up draft boards and, and burn you. I mean, small sample size in 76 plate appearances in the regular season this year, he hit 227 uh, against right-handed pitchers. He hit 243 on the road. I mean, the, we're, everything's a small sample size. He's hot in the playoffs. 
awesome. His potential's great. He's going to be shooting up draft boards. You're going to have to reach to grab him. Uh, I'm with you guys. I'm not going to be a guy reaching. I don't, I don't, I think the helium of his postseason is going to put him out of my reach. Also noted he plays for the Rays and you can't trust Kevin Cash. Well, Rosarena, I want to give credit to Keegan Matheson of MLB.com because I, I read he kind of put some of these numbers out there. Um, he has five or six home runs now, which is tied with Evan Longoria for the most by any rookie in a single postseason. His 19 hits, uh, again, now it's more than that. I think it's now it's 20 or 21. It was only three shy of, of tying Derek Jeter all time, set in 1996 in a postseason. His ascension this season, um, again, if you remember, he came along with Jose Martinez from the Cardinals, and he posted a 281, 382, 641 slash line in 23 games down the stretch after his first month of being on COVID or uh, the COVID IL. And I mean, this postseason is hitting 442, nine extra base hits, tied with Evan Longoria and VJ Upton for the most by a single Ray in a postseason. He's only 25, and he's the Cuban born leader for homers in a single postseason, breaking the tie with Kendris Morales, Jose Canseco, and Tony Perez. So, I mean, guys, he looks good already. I, I agree, 180p is a, very rich. Um, but I mean, Let's just see how he keeps playing out this postseason. I mean, and if he's a fixture in that lineup hitting third for the Rays next season, it's a very valuable spot. So I'm interested to see what keeps happening with him. Well, I mean, is his speed – I mean, he's been the darling of Twitter. His speed is what sets him apart. If he can pull off that power, he had, he has the speed to also steal 15, 20 bases, maybe more than that next year. Uh, so he's a really interesting guy, especially in Roto Leagues. I, I haven't done enough of a deep dive on on him on his minor league to see if he showed the, this type of skill as a minor leaguer. Uh, but when you're talking about Derek Jeter, you know, bumping up against Derek Jeter records, that's pretty heady territory. Yeah. I, I mean, Randy Rosarena could be the talk of the town next year. We'll see. Anyway, if you like hearing about Ran- Rosie or Ra- blah, blah, blah. <laughs> scratch that. <laughs> if you like hearing about Randy Rosarena, make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button wherever you find your podcasts. Want to hear more triple play? Great news for you. We have a fantasy football show and premiering starting next week, a fantasy basketball show that you can check out available anywhere you get your podcasts. Can you tell us about that basketball show, Eric? You know, going to hit the ground running. We're going to recap the season. We're going to have a few guests lined up, hopefully. So just make sure that you keep refreshing that Twitter button. Awesome. If you're enjoying the content, how about pretending we're the crispy M&Ms of podcasts and giving us a five-star rating and review because you know that's the best candy out there. Check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Fantasy. Eric runs our social media and provides daily questions, annoying gifts, and, of course, our weekly episode drops. You looking for the show to bring you life like Randy or Rosarena, lead you to a World Series, and gain 15 pounds from push-ups, chicken, and rice? We'll help bulk you up with that baseball knowledge, son. We want to keep you entertained. But first with you, thank you, the loyal player, for your listens each and every week. Now, Frank Stample. Randy Rosarena. Good job, guys. Let me tell you today about Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. 
There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, or you can record it on another device or platform and transfer it to Anchor. It will distribute your podcast for you through Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast right in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. We welcome in a man that some may call the perfect combination of salty and sweet. You've seen his writing before on Roto Experts. Maybe you were his friend on Fantasy BFFs or currently listening to this St. Francis Terrier on CBS's Fantasy Baseball today. The fellow 90s baby and the Manny Machado and Jose Abreu truther. Oh my goodness gracious, Susan, of all the dramatic things I've ever seen, we are talking tonight with Frank Stample. What's up, man? Yo, what's going on? Here you go. Oh my goodness gracious. (laughs) Love that man. That that drop was such a necessary like add to the show. I love that you did that. Yeah, man. Uh, look, any way that I can spruce it up a little bit, uh, try and find a a creative way, a fun way to do things. I'm going to try and do so. But uh, thank you guys for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Of course, man. And uh, you know, just following you through Twitter and all that, we've had conversations in the past. You know, all those fire Nickelodeon shows growing up in the '90s. I've messaged Ooh, you a couple yeah. times about Dragon Ball Z a little bit. So you've got good taste, and that's one of the things that first I was like, Frank's the guy. Yes, yes, I appreciate it, man. Uh, look, not a lot of people would appreciate those takes because you know sometimes I do the show with Scott White and Adam Azer, and these guys are a little bit older, man. So they don't they don't appreciate the. The anime, the Dragon Ball Z, like, dude, I grew up with that Pokemon, like you know, mm-hmm. like, dude, this is what I grew up with. So, uh, you mentioned it, '90s baby. Uh, I appreciate that we can kind of all embrace those things together. Of fellow, course, and- fellow '90s baby, Majin Buu, we know what that is. Art doesn't. Eric, old. you don't even watch the show. Stop that. You don't even. Watch I don't. It. I, watched I don't. It when you growing up, that counts. Anyway, uh, Frank, there is one thing I do have to ask though. So. You were, I think I replied to you, it was like a, a couple months back when you were said you were watching it. You, you weren't watching it for the first time, right? Because I think I might have spoiled something. I was like, oh, did I just like totally ruin it for Frank? When uh, were you watching like Super the first time through like yeah. a few months ago? I totally, oh wow. Dude, I don't know. Like if you did, I don't remember it. Like my memory is shot, dude. So anything that happened like before last week, I don't remember. So. <laughs> Like you're perfectly fine. Uh, yeah, I'm still kind of working my way through. I watched right past the Goku Black Saga, and then I just stopped. I don't know. I think it was like the the combination of baseball still going on and football starting at the same time. I'm like, dude, I have no time to watch Dragon Ball Super. Although I would love to. That's very fair. You do have a busy job, and uh, it, it does get the Tournament of Power, which is next, gets pretty interesting. So you'll be in for a show for that. Um. It is kind of interesting too, the last thing before we get started in here, because when we started this show in about in March, we had Adam Azer come on. It was like our third episode. And, oh, sorry. <laughs> and it, it was funny because we were talking through our, like we were using the app through our phones and it was like bugging out and it was so different. And like, we're like, oh, we got the new host of the CBS Fantasy Baseball today, but we're all upgraded now, bringing our full force on. So I, I feel like it's kind of come full circle now with you here. So it's kind of cool. 
I appreciate that. Yeah, you know, look, leave the technical issues for when Adam Azer is on, but you figure things out. You get me on here, and it's looking good. You guys sound good. We all look good. I, I don't know. This gentleman looked like he's like stuck in a in a dungeon somewhere. So, I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you you hit it right. It's the dungeon. I I I have two kids upstairs. They go to bed at seven thirty. I come to the basement to do this. This is the only space. This is my space. Very this is my fan dungeon. And when you, um, Frank, when you refer to him, Elsie, his name is Little Cheesecake. That's his, uh, his name for the show. That's oh. how it works. Little Cheesecake. Yeah. All right. Well, I've heard of Man Cave, but that's just like literally a cave. So <laughs> <laughs> that's well, awesome. I, I make sure I put myself in front of the only bricks I have in place, but it's only like as wide as my head. So I got to yeah. get a poster up here too. Yeah. That's what I need. That's great. Well, Frank, we're going to need your help sorting through this mess that we have going on today. And it's pitching going into 2021 because we have the pitching carnival and that's finding home for these tough 2021 hitters to rank. So in a season where we had 60 games of data, it's incredibly hard to make assessments of players and their performances. And as with many sports, there are many factors that come into play when looking at how these players perform. Some may be slow starters. Others may not play well in certain weather. Others may have great or bad success, depending on who the teams they faced continually in the, continually in the realignment. A lot of different factors. So we have to determine, is this 2020 data relevant? And that's the big question for your boys here today. So uh, we are going to be looking at these pitchers in these shortened 2020 seasons, kind of uh, closing our eyes and trying to make guesses for how we're going to draft them in 2021. All right. And this is the triple play fantasy pitching carnival. All right. You boys ready to ride? Let's go. All right. Riding the merry-go-round. Yeah, that's the worst one to pick. So I don't know why you picked that one. But <laughs> All right. So, Frank, you're the leadoff bat since you're the guest. So, I'd sent you a list of just 12 guys I kind of researched and figured fit this category for the show. So um, who do you want to start off with? Hey, let's start at the top, man. Probably one of the most polarizing players on this list, I would say. So you want to start off right with uh, Corbin Burns? Oh, yeah. Let's go. Jump All right. Frank, the floor is yours, my man. What do you, what do you about Corbin Burns sticks out to you? Look, the guy has fantastic stuff. Look, anybody with two eyes can figure that out. And we knew that coming into the season, too. It was all offseason. Chris and Chris Towers and I were talking about, like, this guy has legitimate upside. Like, don't just look at his, you know, 2019 surface numbers. The swinging strike rate is fantastic. The underlying numbers for 2019 were fantastic as well. Like, he has legit stuff. And you watch him pitch. He has, like, five different pitches. He throws near like 100 miles per hour. He has a 93-mile-per-hour cutter. He has like a 90-mile-per-hour slider. Uh, the guy's legit. 2.11 ERA, 1.02 whip, over 13 Ks per nine this year. The one bugaboo for Corbin Burns, well, there's a few actually. The command is a little wonky at times. It's 3.6 walks per nine. Uh, his first pitch strike percentage is like 53%. League average is 62%. So he does fall behind in counts at times, and it affects his ability to go deep into games. My other issue with Burns is the innings pitched. So since 2017, 145 and two-thirds, 116 and two-thirds, 71 and a third, 59 and two-thirds this past season. This is going to be the issue for all these pitchers that we're basically going to talk about, is how are we projecting starting pitchers for next season? And based on the trend that we've seen with specifically Burns's innings, I don't see how you can realistically expect anything more than 150 innings. And those might be really good 150 innings pitch, but 
I think you just have to keep in mind like roster construction when drafting him next year. He's like your SP two or SP three. You really have to surround him with guys that you feel safe are going to give you innings. And we were looking now that we have some kind of data with these two early mocks. He's right now going around 65. Um, so he's going very early in these two early mocks. And I did a little looking in on him too. And so he threw six pitches in 2019 and he threw six pitches in 2020, but he completely flopped how he used them. Um, his fastball, he threw 52% of the time in, uh, in 2019. He basically decreased that to less than 5%. Uh, it was 2.5% in 2020. And his sinker, uh, was 3.7% of the time in 2019, became his most used pitch at 33% of the time. It's all the way down. Cutter was his least thrown pitch, less than a, a 1% of the time, went up to 31 and a half. Um, so it's very just interesting. He just basically flip-flopped how his, his pitch mix went, altered his usages to become more effective. And like you said, Frank, his, I mean, that walk percentage also is something that's kind of scary. Um, his XERA was over a run higher than his actual ERA. And the key thing I noticed also was his left on base percentage last year was about 57 and a half percent. It was 80% this year. So he left a lot of guys on base that you can't trust that type of strand rate, I think year to year. Um, So you can guys, you can tell me if I'm jumping the gun here, I'm getting Matthew Boyd type vibes. Is is that too weird to say? Don't do that. Don't do that to Corbin Burns, man. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, Matthew Boyd, I don't think there's anybody that likes him after this year. My my hesitancy with him is he had some of his best games last year versus Pittsburgh, who he faced twice, at Detroit versus Kansas City, the Cardinals. Some of the non-better-hitting offenses, I think, in a normal season when he has to go against the NL East and NL West. I think he's going to have to face some tougher hitting teams. I think we've talked a bunch throughout the season that the Central was probably the easiest division for pitchers. So that's kind of my knock that you guys didn't touch on. But come on, Matthew Boyd vibes. I mean, yeah. someone had to say it. Look, I mean, he was he, what was I don't know what he was going last year, um, like this early, like in the off season. But everybody had that huge hype around him with that strikeout stuff. And it's not saying that they're the same pitcher. I'm just more talking about the rise to the potential fall. It could get ugly. You never know. Um, but Cheesecake, who's another guy on this list that you would like to point out? Well, I have to start by issuing a mea culpa. I uh, I overdrafted this guy in the two early mocks. It looks like I was top man by 22 picks on Christian Javier. And um, there's a reason why people weren't drafting him where I was drafting him. Now, first of all, I took him at 139. I thought that was a good value. His his production this year was was excellent. Um, and then you look underneath it, his stat cast, uh, his hard hit percentage is in the 90th percentile. His ex wob is in the 90th percentile. His ex-ERA is in the 90th percentile. His ex-BA is in the 92nd percentile. All of this is amazing. The, the question where it comes in is like he has a really small sample size. When you dig underneath it all, you actually find out that he really only has two reliable pitches. He sort of has two more show-me pitches that he uses after that. But uh, he doesn't use them enough to really be considered a solid third offering. So I think Javier is a guy who the fear that I would have with someone like him is that he would be end up in the bullpen next year, not with a starting role. I I was buoyed at first by the fact that Houston often often doesn't give long leashes to rookies uh, or young pitchers, and they let Javier pitch out the stretch. But they did have a lot of injury concerns, so. Um, I thought 
I thought solid that he would be given a second chance next year. He turns out he's going on average about 188. I expect Javier to fall for the same concerns of fact that he might not enter the with a rotation spot. I like his talent. He might end up being best as a reliever if he can't actually develop a third pitch. The way he uses it, though, he's a he's interesting. Um, he likes to he likes to throw his four seamers up, and he he throws his sliders to righties, and then he throws his curves and changes to lefties. So uh, you know that's that's basically what he has, and the curve and the change. Aren't, aren't very developed offerings yet. The uh, the slider is his real pitch. He's uh, for, uh, 40% of his outs recorded with the slider were by strikeout, and that was his big strikeout pitch. It's another thing that gives me pause about him is that uh, his 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 whiff percentage was really low, except for on that slider. Um, but I like him a lot as a pitcher. I think he showed that he has you know good mentality on the mound. He came out his first game and, de- and dealt – uh, and he dealt all season. So I like his mentality. Uh, I wonder, I wonder what a little bit more exposure will do to him. So I think I, I expect his price to fall from its current average of 188 and definitely from my 139. You overdraft or you use either? I, over, I, I liked him and I, I, I kind of got caught up with the stats before digging too deep into it. That's fair. Uh, good old Docky. Who's the first guy you want to bring up here? So the first guy I'm going to touch on, and, and you guys have brought up some good news. So I'm going to be the bearer of bad news. And for me, that's Mike Clevenger. And I that's like your guy. Him. What? It is. It is. But it, this needs to be said. I am worried for his future. He's turning 30 years old, and he's thrown 100 innings pitched plus once in his career. And that was 2018. This season, he had 40 strikeouts and 41.2 innings pitched. So not even re- that really dominant Ks per nine. His playoffs, he had one inning, three walks, and a K against the Dodgers. His fastball velocity dipped, and he has a right elbow injury. And this is a direct quote from him, quote, bones are hitting the back of my elbow. The Padres have even come out and said they're concerned. My question is, or my my theory is, he's turning 30 in December. I think we might have seen the best of him. He's had ankle Issues. He he uh, tore his MCL prior to the season starting. He had a major back strain in his right side last year, and this is his right elbow. So that's his throwing side. And for somebody that's not even durable, and to undergo these surgeries, I mean, we're we've seen Justin Verlander and a few others prior to this season when they tried to ramp up their arms have significant arm injuries. And if Clevenger does, then he comes back at 31, not throwing over for not throwing for over a year or so. I'm worried. The Padres are worried, and somebody tell me some good news to make me feel better. Uh, Cleveland Indians fans can be happy because they end up dumping solid starting pitchers right before they get get like injury prone for the rest of their careers. That's true. Uh, public safety warning: Stop trading with Cleveland for pitching. Probably. And, and this should also be said: If he goes out with Corona, when coronavirus is a popular thing. I also don't trust his decision-making. And I think that's whether it's trying to rush back from an injury or just even how the, how the team's going to handle him if he goes against their rules in the future. Frank, do you, right now, Clevenger's ADP on the early mocks is 61, going right before Corbin, Corbin Burns. Is, you're not comfortable taking him there, I assume? No, there's no chance. I'm very worried about Clevenger as well. I mean, anytime you see arm injuries like this, uh, I would take Burns over him. You know, I'm looking at this ADP, and it's it's really interesting because 
You have Sonny Gray at 56, then Clevenger at 61, Burns at 65, and then a pretty big drop until Carrasco at 79. So, like, this mid-range, like, middle-round range, like, five through seven, four through seven, um, there's not a lot of pitchers going in this range. So it's just interesting in general. And um, I guess it's an okay spot for Clevenger. I'm not going to do it. Someone else could take the chance on him, but – he has not been durable the past couple of seasons, and I don't know what's going to happen in the offseason. So I kind of want to see where this ADP ultimately settles settles in, but I think it's it's going to drop throughout the offseason, I'd imagine. That's I think it's why he's at 61 right now. Yeah, I mean, I think as more news about him comes out, probably when baseball settles down, I think Frank's right. I think it's going to go down. Um, I want to go back to a positive thing, and I want give me more Lee of Tyler Molly because – this guy, I mean, looked like a whole new pitcher down the stretch. He had uh, his XBA was in the 90th percentile, had a uh, amazing WOBA uh, and a 28.5K percentage. And his pitch mix down the stretch, because this was, again, around like his last 9, 10 starts of the season. He only stepped in because of injuries. His pitch mix really played a big part in this. And, his, and you can't say necessarily because it's his fastball velocity because it stayed about 94 miles an hour. And, but his curveball... He went from using it 23% of the time to barely over 1%. His cutter went from 7% to non-existent, didn't throw his cutter anymore. And that all brought about him bringing back his slider, which he hadn't used since 2018. And he upped it from basically 0 to 32% of the time, and it became his most effective pitch right off the bat. And he figured out this formula from just research I'm digging in that uh, he basically wanted to throw it down uh, and into left-handed batters and down and away to right-handed batters for a strike to start the at-bat or for a change of pace and tried to avoid throwing it in the middle of the strike zone, obviously. But it's interesting because his splits versus lefties and righties with that pitch versus lefties, he had a 107 batting XBA, a 145 X Woba and a 45 and a half whiff percentage. Righties hit it a lot better at 251, but still not incredible. Um, better numbers all around. Still had a 43.5 whiff percentage. So what he would do is he would throw his slider and fastball against righties, where he would use his split finger fastball more against lefties uh, to better set up his slider when he would throw it. So it's just interesting. Kind of, I feel like he's really kind of dialed in um, his approach, and not doesn't hurt that he had a three mile increase on his slider from when he used it in 2018, which upped his whiff rate 14. percent So I'm looking at with Trevor Bauer gone, um, this, this spot is his, how he performed, and there's one less pitcher there to compete. Um, I, I think he really figured out a good formula that's going to work well for him. I, I think I might have heard Nick from PitcherList talk about where he would also throw his fastball up and his slider down just to change the eye level of the hitters too. Um, you know, he's He just made a lot of positive changes that I think he's one of those guys you might be able to snag as your SP5 later in your drafts, and he's going to give you a really good payoff later on. No, I like that a lot, too. Like, Mally, when he first came up a couple of years ago, I think it was, like, he was really given a shot in 2018. Like, I would watch this guy pitch, and I would just feel like like he knows how to pitch, just watching him pitch on the mound. But the Garrett Cole formula that you mentioned, like throwing fastballs up, sliders down, using that split finger as a pitch to uh, get lefties out, that that's key for him. The one pause that I have, a 50% fly ball rate. So... I mean, in this environment, pitching in Cincinnati, Great American Small Park, <laughs> that worries me a little bit, the 50% fly ball rate. But in general, like the improvements that he made, like the swinging strike rate was a career high 13.8%. Like that is fantastic. Like that's top 20 among qualified starting pitchers. 
if he qualified. So, uh, no, I like the improvements that he made. Just want to see that fly ball rate come down a little bit. But he's going right around the same range as Javier. I'd much rather take a shot on on Mally over Javier. Mm-hmm. I like that. Frank's on my side. Cheesecake. Um, so, Frank, we got another guy on this list. Who sticks out to you out of the, the guys that still haven't been talked about yet? Let's look at Patrick Corbin. You know, I want to get back into some negativity here. <laughs> yeah. There was there was a podcast that I was doing with Scott back in September, and I pulled up his Statcast page, and my face just like it's like I saw a ghost. You look at Patrick Corbin's Statcast page, and it is all blue. Blue is bad. Blue is bad when it comes to StatCast, and he actually just led all qualified starting pitchers in whip. 1.57 whip. The velocity down for Patrick Corbin. The swinging strike rate down for Patrick Corbin. I like No matter how far he falls, I don't think that I want to get involved. Like I think we have all the, the warning signs. Like The writing is on the wall that we are, we are nearing the end of Patrick Corbin kind of being a fantasy asset. So... I'm definitely worried. You know, Frank, I, I knew that we were very similar, but it's funny because uh, a couple of the first guys you brought up were guys that I looked at a lot more than others. And I actually wrote an article on Corbin on uh, fan tracks about like what went right and wrong in 2020. And um, I mean, everything you said, I mean, his whip is is really bad. And um, his fastball velocity, I know, was hugely talked about. It was down two ticks, down from 92 to 90. And um, one of the things I saw his fastball it went from a 232 to a 407 batting average against this year. So it literally upped it from 232 to 407. And uh, his slider, which was his pitch, like if you know baseball, you know Patrick Corbin is the slider. Like that's his thing. And, and he had a 52% whiff rate in 2019 and went down to 38%. And um, I just don't think that it's the same effective pitch that it was. And if he can't get people swinging on his slider – Oh, that's a problem. And you mentioned his whip. I mean, gosh, I, I wouldn't wish that whip on my worst enemy. So uh, I, I think, yeah, Frank, you hit it on the head. I, I don't think, I don't know any point that I would feel comfortable taking Patrick Corbin, what I saw. So well, I, I agree with both you guys. I do think it's interesting. In all 11 of his outings, he went at least five innings. And there were even some outings where he gave up five plus, seven plus runs. And the Nationals still kept him out there. So I feel like he's going to be like their 2020 LeVon Hernandez where (laughs) like Strasburg is hurt. No, they're just going to have him be an inning eater. He'll be getting getting hit. I mean, there was one game where he gave up 14 hits in six innings and they let him go that far. So, you know. Frank, Frank, what were you going to say? No, I was just going to say you brought up Matthew Boyd before and I kind of feel that way about Patrick Corbin now because one thing about Boyd is that I mean he was basically just a slide like he just relied on the slider and his fastball is like 90 miles per hour at least for Corbin like he was 92 miles per hour like that fastball dips down to 90 miles per hour he does not have another pitch that he uses like his change up six percent of the time does not like he's basically fastball change up and I think like those two ticks being down for Corbin, he gave up more home runs this year. Like I'm getting serious Matthew Boyd vibes from from Patrick Corbin just based on like the arsenal and where his fastball velocity is at. Yeah, I, I agree. And his ADP, I'm hoping will take a significant dip to where I mean, I'm looking at the two early mocks now, and his ADP I believe is 118. 
which is oh, no, way no. too rich for let me. It, let it stay there. Let it stay. There. <laughs> yeah, let's <laughs> let Corbin. Other people are drafting Patrick Corbin there. That means like other players are falling down the board that you want. So look, if you're listening to this or watching this, do not draft Patrick Corbin. But if other people in your league want to draft him that high, please do it. <laughs> Congratulate them and say, what a great pick. And then have your fingers crossed. Yeah. All right. Um, Cheesecake, who's your next guy? Uh, I want to talk about Tristan McKenzie. I think that um, he's a really interesting pitcher. He came on. He's he's young, 23 years old. He's a big string bean, 6'5", 165. But um, as I just said, Cleveland keeps trading their pitchers. So I think he has a pretty decent shot when he comes into camp next year of getting a shot in the rotation. Now, uh, he he has a real interesting – he uses, he pitches in about three um, – three velocity bands. His fastball is about 93. Then he throws a slider and a change, which both go about 86 and his curve is 80. And uh, I really like that about his arsenal that he, he can throw in three different velocity bands. And I like, I, I trust the Indians development right now. He's going around pick 200. Uh, I expect that to go up. If he comes into spring training, I don't have any idea what to expect as far as innings next year. Like, like I think 150 would be like dreaming to to try and project him to go 150. I think if you're looking at Tristan McKenzie, you, 120, you, you would hope to get 120 to 130 good innings out of him. But I think that he's he has talent as a pitcher. His 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 stat cast is pretty good. Uh, his his uh he he gives up a lot of uh, barrel rates, but his high strikeout rate. Uh, saves him a lot. He has a lot of strikeout potential in that arm. Uh, like I said, I trust Cleveland a lot. So I expect him, well, 200 for a guy going to go about 120, 130 innings. That might sound right, but I, I would expect coming in the spring, a uh, little bit of the Cleveland hype machine to get him moved up draft boards a little bit. So uh, if you want to get him, I think you probably start reaching after 150 I, I think if you feel like you're you believe in him that's when I would go for him yeah um I agree I think stick is a, a good value there I, I think it's his name is stick if you ever uh look at his how skinny he is it's literally like you can fit your like your fingers around his arm like this like you're a pointer and your thumb around him it, it's crazy I, I, I don't want to say it's stick or skeleton or something but it's pretty cool <laughs> uh doc who are we looking at next so I'll stick with Cleveland pitchers, and I'll go with Aaron Savale. So as Art said, there's something in that water in Cleveland that makes the pitchers magical. He's 25 years old. I know he tailed off a little bit to end the season, but he had a 2.91 ERA after his first five starts. I look at the silver lining in some things, and he threw 90-plus pitches in all his, of his games except for his last and went six innings-plus in all of his last he did lead the league in hits allowed, so that's a little bit of a red flag. But I think that really goes because he gets hit hard the second or third time around in his lineup. But I think Cleveland believes in him because they traded Kluber before the season. They traded Clevenger during the season. I look back at his 2019 season, and he threw 863 pitches and only, had, only allowed four barrels for 2.4%. The main thing that worries me. Whoa, 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 hold on. Did Eric just use an analytic? <laughs> I know, man. Stop Frank, 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 We've been doing the show except for a while now. That's the first time Eric's ever referenced something from StatCast. <laughs> I, I, 
second. I think he wanted to impress you. I, I, I just, I needed to take a second. <laughs> I appreciate it. Aaron Savale is my guy, so I felt like I needed to do a little bit more research. There you <laughs> go. Fair but, enough. Okay. So he threw his sinker and slash fastball tops out at 92 and his cutter at 87. And he throws his sinker and cutter about 29% of the time. So there's not that much fast or there's not that much difference in velocity. So he's going to depend a lot on movement to make batters swing and miss. That's the hesitancy for me going forward, but I don't think he's a sexy name. I think he's somebody that could be your SP4. And that you could probably get in the later rounds of the draft. Um, Don't they say about him what they used to say about Bieber? That he's kind of wild in the zone, that he gets hit hard. I mean, I'm not saying I would expect Bieber-like growth, but I feel like being in the staff with Bieber, having the same pitching staff, uh, pitching coaches, uh, you can expect improvement from from Savali. I mean, Bieber had the same sort of issues when he was – when he was first starting to get a full-time gig at the, and the rotation. Yeah, it's a fair point. I, um, I would say Cleveland pitchers and I believe shut up and take my money. <laughs> there you go. Uh, by the way, it's Dr. Sticks. I just looked it up. Is his nickname? Oh, is that what it is? Dr. Sticks. Um, I'm going to bring up another guy here and we talked about Christian Javier. I'm gonna bring up his teammate and that's Framber Valdez who uh, was saving me for a while in my NFBC team. Um, but uh, not enough, apparently, especially with a couple of blokes he had. And, and let's talk about this curveball goodness that he has. One of the best in the game. Two straight years of utter dominance from that pitch. Has XBAs of 138 or less and 215 X slugs or less. 42% whiff rates are above. I mean, that pitch is just so incredibly nasty. When he's when his curveball is on, that's what you'll see on Center. When you'll see the highlights of his seven-inning, ten-strikeout game, they're like all curveballs. But if you look at the rest of his pitches, sinker is not so hot. And that's his primary pitch. And he allowed an over 300x batting average and almost 500x slug this year off that pitch. Change up, not, he upped the usage and it got very similar results. And again, his fastball, which sucked last year, he cut it down to basically from 18% to 2% this year. So there wasn't really a lot of data off that pitch. So he pretty much went with three pitches this year and ditched the fastball. And the other two pitches were horrible. Um, so if he does not have his curveball going, I'm very scared because he hasn't shown in the last two years that he has another pitch he can throw. So if he's not getting that thing over for strikes, um, I'm, I'm really worried about that. And he did overperform his metrics a little bit. His X ERA was almost four compared to his mid threes ERA he had, and he got hit hard. He was in the bottom 5% in exit velocity and hard hit percentage. So, um, he's not a Mr. Freeze. He's not an all blue stat cast profile. But uh, it's like a nice, like, cherry blue slushy mix. It's a nice mix of blue and red. So uh, I'm, I'm a little scared of him, honestly. And I, I don't know if I have the, the cojones to take him next year, knowing that he could be prone to the blowups that he can every once in a while have. Where is he getting taken right now? So he's getting taken higher than you would think. Um, yeah, he's one, getting, ta- he's getting taken. Which is it? 117. One spot ahead of Patrick Corbin. Ooh, that's tough. I, I see. I, I can't pull the trigger there for him either. And yeah, it's, like, probably, it's probably how he ended the season because in his last five outings, he went a little over 31 innings and allowed only six earned. So he ended the season pretty well. I just, I don't really like that range of starting pitchers. It's Valdez, Patrick Corbin, Frankie Montas, another one that we could talk about. Mm-hmm. But this range, like 
110 to 125. I'd rather wait. I think in my mock draft, I got Ian Anderson with the first pick of the ninth round in a 15 team league. So signing mm. for that, I don't really know what the endings are going to be for Ian Anderson either. Uh, Framber Valdez is just super interesting, like sky high ground ball rates, uh, 60% every year that he's been in the league. The, the curveball is nasty, there's no doubt about it. And the stinker could be prone to giving up hits. I mean, that could be anybody who's like a ground ball pitcher. Uh, but over a strikeout per inning and the command really, really improved this year. I don't know if he can keep that up. Like that's the biggest key for me for next season when it comes to Valdez is like, can he maintain these strides that he made uh, in terms of command? Because if he can, then he, he probably will pay off that 120 ADP. But, you know, if he re- resorts back to like over three or even comes close to four walks per nine, that's kind of the danger territory for Framber Valdez. And I think you hit it on the head. That whole range of pitchers right now is just looking like a dead zone. We're just like, you just want to stay away, uh, for at least where they're ranked right now. So, um, Frank, who's another guy that, uh, looking at the guys that we haven't talked about yet, that sticks out for you? Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about Frankie Montas, like someone who I was super in on heading into this season. Like, I had three breakout pitchers where I needed to leave every draft with at least one of these guys. And more often than not, I would end up with multiple of them. But it was Zach Gallon, it was Max Freed, and it was Frankie Montas. So I went two for three. All right, whatever. Like, we'll, we'll try and go 100% next year, but it didn't work out for Montas. Like, his first four starts, he was, he was lights out. And then it was that back injury basically derailed his entire season. Anything after that, he wasn't great. His final start, he woke back up with like 12 or 13 strikeouts, but it came against the Mariners. So you got to take that with a little bit of a grain of salt. I Like this price tag early on for Montas is telling me like other people don't know where he should go either. And he has a very wide range. Like his high pick, his mint pick is 105 and, and his his um, his late pick is one his low pick is 155. So like there's a huge range of where he's going right now. So I think people are, just trying to figure out what to do with Montas as well. But mm-hmm. I don't like, didn't use the splitter as much this year. The command took a step back from where it was last season. Um, I don't think that the PEDs just made him a good pitcher all of a sudden last year, but maybe they helped keep him healthy. Like we've seen that out of other players before. Uh, so I don't know. Like, I don't really like this range. I, if Montas is going to be in like this 120 range, I'm not really feeling it. Frank, if a pitcher burns you and you like to your core, where they just just totally just screw you over to where you lose because of that one player, does that make you hesitate that, at all? That, that the person you lose to is your brother. Oh man, dude! Like, ask me about any pitcher not named Joe Musgrove. Basically, we <laughs> <laughs> draft that guy every single year, and he sucks for me every year. And then he's awesome for the final month, and then everyone buys back in, and I'm pretty much going to do the same thing next year. <laughs> I think it's a case by case basis, right? But like, I don't. Like, I'm. I'm just. I'm not feeling it with Frankie Montas. Just based on like the numbers, the command being down, the the splitter usage being down as well. Uh, I'm pretty worried about him. I agree. I feel, and, I feel like his ADP was around 100 to 120 last off season, and this season didn't is not changing it at all. I I would have thought it would have dropped 20 to 30 spots. I. 150s, yeah, give me Frankie Montas. 120s, I mean, there's not a lot there. So if you're short on pitching, you're like, hey, Frankie looks good to me, you know. Or uh, Patrick Corbin, he had a good season once, remember that? You know, but in that zone, it's, yeah, you're better off waiting for guys who have a little less less certainty and hitting the outfielders pretty hard, I guess. Yeah, good point there. Um, 
Cheesecake. Who is uh who's catching your eye next on this list? John Means is looking looking big. John Means is looking sexy. Oh, I love, I love it. Yes. 63230. I didn't know that that the man was walking around that. He's 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 going over to Boogs. He's getting he's getting the uh what's the name of the um oh, I got I should know this. Pit beef the pit beef. John, uh, John Means had a had a really nice season. His his ERA was a little bit high, but look at the WHIP point nine eight. Uh, that shows that the underlying the underlying uh, pitching was very good. Now Means has a good fastball for a lefty. He throws at almost ninety four. He's another guy with has three uh, velocity bands. His change and slide are both in the mid eighties, and his curve's a little slower in the, in seventy nine. He's a fastball up, change up and curve to righties and the sliders to the lefties. Um, but he, he, he hit, he faces mostly righties, 558 pitches against righties to 187 versus lefties. Now, a few things to, uh, to, to look at between 19 and 20, his home run rate was up. His hard hit rate was up his K rate, but his K rate was up and his walk rate was down. So that's what I'm looking at. I think, uh, I think you can expect, that his his uh, he might get a little bit more home run lucky next year and uh, produce really well. This is a guy who's produced for two seasons in a row now. Pretty good statistics. One thing Baltimore was uh, was shifting a lot more this year, and uh, and uh, his uh, he's throwing to the pole a lot more. Uh, so I'm not sure if if uh, if if how that's going to play out with his pitching. But it seems like uh, Baltimore's being a little bit more active with their infielders than they were last season, and maybe that's going to continue into the future. And that might be the reason for the higher pull rate that he's experiencing and the higher home run per fly ball rate. So uh, that's one thing to look at with him. But um, other than that, I really like him, and he's going late. He's getting taken 63rd pitcher off the board in the two early mocks. That's crazy. He's going to go shooting up boards by the spring. Um, the only thing that people worry about is Baltimore stinks. Baltimore's getting better. They got a lot. Of, they got they got players, and um, uh, they're not going to be terrible for for forever. And Means will be there, and uh, I think he's going to be pretty good. But I'd watch out. He might continue to have the home run problem. Baltimore seems to manage to that style a little bit. Yeah, that's a very well said. I actually I snagged him in the early mock. I think it was. I mean, he was like my twenty second or twenty third round pick. Like he was late. Um, and I mean, again, so part of the things with the two early mocks too is like sometimes you don't know the players are there until after they're drafted. Now that this ADP is starting to come out, you're like, oh yes, like like I think that's one of the things that I do take from these is that unless it's always in front of you where you can kind of look at ADP just as a guide, even though you're not necessarily drafting to ADP, but you can kind of see where players are. Um, I think that it might be a little more accurate later on. But with John Means, I think he had that one 13 strikeout game or something ridiculous that they were like, how, how the hell is John Means striking out 13 batters in a game? Uh, but that increased velocity, like you mentioned, uh, I mean, it was a big deal. And if he can keep that, I mean, that's mm-hmm. a steal where he's going. Um, Doc, I believe there's a... Uh, a Dodgers pitcher that you want to talk about. Yeah. And, you know, I've talked about him a few times. I was big on him before this season and that's Tony Gonsolin. So quick shout out. He's five days older than me. So <laughs> you can just look entirely different. The, the May 94 birthdays. Yeah. He looks like 20 years older than me. 
But the past two seasons, he's went over 40 innings plus and had a sub three ERA. He has a career whip of 0.923. Um, he's not an amazing strikeout. He's averaging about a strikeout an inning, but he does a really good job keeping the ball in the park. He only allowed two home runs this year, and he only walked seven. So he's really good at attacking the zone. What worries me is he pitches a lot to contact sometimes, and he throws his fastball about 48% of the time. And it's 95 miles per hour, so it's not not terrible, but if he loses a couple ticks, I don't think he's going to be nearly as effective. I do like the rest of his pitch mix, though, a split that he throws about 30% of the time, a slider that he throws about 17% of the time, and a curve. My thing with him and his ranking is probably low because the Dodgers have a lot of pitchers. But I think an injury to Clayton Kershaw, who's injury prone, Walker Bueller, who now has um, blisters that we've seen can derail a career with like Aaron Sanchez. David Price gets hurt a lot. I think if any of those are hurt for a significant period of time in 2021, that's going to lock him in the rotation. And if you can get him late, I think he's going to be a value. Well, let me bring this up. First day of the season, is he in the rotation? I think he is. I need to see what they do this offseason. I could, if they don't win it this year, I could see them throwing money at Trevor Bauer. Frank, what do you think? You think Gonsolin's in the rotation come day one next year? I think he deserves to be. I, mm. I'm going to go out on a limb and say yes. And his early ADP 170, like there's no doubt in my mind. If we get any indication that he's going to be in the rotation, like this is going to move up like 20 to 30 spots easily because you look at all the numbers for him this year. I mean, a 14% swinging strike rate under two walks per nine, nearly a strikeout per any, like everything is there for Gonsolin. He just needs the opportunity to be in the rotation. So we'll see. I mean, they have a lot of arms there. They have Arias. David Price is going to be back. They have Dustin May as well. So Maybe they go six man and it could, you know, help all these guys stay healthy. I mean, it will, it'll, it'll hurt people in season because you won't have like two star pitchers, obviously, with these guys, but it could be an option for them. I'm going to go out and say, yes, he is in the rotation, partially just because I'm, I'm hoping that he's in the rotation. <laughs> I hope he is too. Yeah. Um, let's move to the last guy on this list here. And, and Frank, you'll appreciate this because you're a host. Uh, the most polarizing guy on this list by uh, all the blue in his StatCast profile. Get that polar blue sack cast. I knew Frank would appreciate that. So, uh, so you look at him here and he had, he excelled in pretty much one thing and that was his exit velocity. This is a guy that um, throughout his career has, I think the last few seasons, especially he would start out, start out pretty well and then tail off. Didn't get all those games later on to see that happen. I kind of want this one to be more of an open forum one for this last guy. Cause I think everybody's scared to take him. I mean, he had, you know, under uh, under a strikeout per nine. Uh, again, that's very Zach Davies-like, but a 2.73 ERA. Uh, Frank, just any thoughts on Zach Davies and what you're going to do with him if you see him on your draft board? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to get excited over someone like Zach Davies because we have such a sample size of him just being like such a mediocre pitcher. I mean, even with that being said, in 2019, people might not realize he had a 3.55 ERA, but the underlying numbers are terrible. 5.2 XFIB, 5.43 Sierra in 2019. Uh, and even this past year, he had a sub three ERA, but you know, XFIB and Sierra both over four as well. I will say like he made changes, like conscious changes to his pitch mix where he started using this cutter more, started using this changeup more um, than his fastball ever before. Like he lowered his fastball usage as well. So made a conscious change to his pitch mix and really limited hard contact, like 28.9% hard contact rate rate for Davies. 
But I just think we have such a, such a big sample of who Zach Davies is that it's really, really hard to be excited about him. And if you're taking a shot on a pitcher later on in your drafts, like why not just swing for upside? And I don't think that Zach Davies has a lot of that. I looked into, you know, when I was trying to figure out projecting pitchers for this past season, I looked into the league leaders from like the first two months in 2019. I think Zach Davies was like top 10 in ERA and whip for the first two months of 2019. And then basically just fell off after that. So maybe he's just someone who routinely gets off to fast starts. But if I'm going to take a pitcher later on in drafts, I'd rather take someone with more upside. So is, is Zach Davies the type of pitcher in like a home league where you can trade that after the first month of the season, you're trying to, to trade him to anybody that'll take him? Absolutely. Like, <laughs> I think I was bringing him up as a, as a sell high candidate midseason this year, even though like the, the trade deadline was a month in when, when the season was halfway over. But realistically, it's like, who's going to trade for Zach Davies? Yeah, if you could take advantage of someone who just, all right, they look at the numbers and they don't know who he is, then sure, do it. But Man, it's just, it's really hard to get excited about Zach Davies. Find a home league with Zach Davies' family in it and then, <laughs> and then just hold him hostage and get a huge return. There you go. That might be the only way to do it at this point. Um, but great job breaking those guys down because these are 12 pitchers that I think are going to, their ADP is going to fluctuate a lot this offseason. So hopefully, when people are looking to draft these, that you can look at these numbers that we just kind of went through and are able to kind of give their own thoughts on them. But, we're going to move from the pitching carnival to our question of the week. And that is sponsored by Manscaped. LC, tell us a little bit about Manscaped. And I say to you, my fellow American, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. What you can do for your country is to groom yourself. If you're in the United States or France, Canada, Iceland, and Denmark, hello. Hello. Thank you for listening. Autumn is in the air, and Manscaped is here to ensure you don't carve your pumpkins when you're grooming. By pumpkins, we actually mean your boys downstairs. In fact, Manscaped is on a mission to change the way you approach caring for your down there. And great news, they just released their products in the U.K., Canada, and Australia. People listen to us in Canada. Hey, Canadians, you can now order Manscaped. Hey, Canadians. Yeah, everyone has been there. You're trying to get... You're trying to make yourself look good. You're trying to make yourself feel good. So you're going for your groom yourself. And what do you do? You don't have the right tools. You use some. Oh, I got a razor here. You want to take a razor down there? A, a, a Bic that you, you bought for a dollar? No, no. You get Manscaped. That's what you do. Let's not forget, this is the best trimmer for your butt, balls, and body. The Lawnmower 3.0 offers a replaceable ceramic blade and advanced skin-safe technology. Their new Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Trimmer uses the same skin-safe technology when you're trimming those delicate nose hairs. Never again will a friend reach over and pull a hair out of your nose. You're saved from that. The Crop Care Kit includes the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant. (laughs) Everyone knows pumpkin spice lattes and ball deodorant go hand in hand. (laughs) Crop Cleanser Body Wash, a full body wash that you can also use on your hair. Crop mop ball wipes. You never know when an opportunity strikes, so you should always be prepared. If you suffer from stank foot or stand on your feet all day, then I have a product for you too. That's the Foot Duster Foot Deodorant. The Manscaped Refined Cologne is a cost-effective way to smell clean and fresh for your day. Yes, that's right. All right. 
what are we talking about here? Get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com with code triple play. Get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com with code triple play. Make your balls a priority this fall, gentlemen. That went so many different directions. I don't even know how to respond after that. There's no response. That's a, that's a mic drop. That is a, it is. From Canada especially, bye. <laughs> All right, so our question this week, which active MLB player has the best chance of breaking a record? So, uh, Or what you could even say, which record do you think could be broken And if you have a player in mind? So there's a lot of different records obviously out there. Um, I'm interested to hear the directions you guys go for this question. So, Frank, you're the guest. What is uh, your pick for this one? All right, so I will admit this is not very exciting at all. <laughs> but you know, looking through the current re- like records are records for a reason, right? Like they're tough. All right, here's what I found: Miguel Sano will break Mark Reynolds's record of 223 strikeouts in a single season. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Right, I think that's actually going to probably be the best one. I think you sold yourself short there. Mark, right, like, but the thing is, it's not exciting, right? Like, it doesn't really help us for fantasy, but I think it's realistic. Mark Reynolds did that back in 2009, 223 strikeouts with a 33.9% strikeout rate. Miguel Sano just had a 43.9% strikeout rate. I love it. I love it. 10% higher than Mark Reynolds in the year that he broke it. We've always talked about, or at least I have, you guys probably talked about it too. If Miguel Sano ever stays healthy, like he has 50 home run potential in a season. Mm-hmm. But if he stays healthy, he will break this record. He has 834 strikeouts in 539 career games. That's 250 strikeouts over a 162 game pace. All he needs to do is stay healthy and he'll break the record. It hurts as a Twins fan too, because it gets very, he always does it in the worst times. He hits like solo home runs, and then when bases are loaded, he'll strike out. Like it's, I love like that. Prior to the season, I did Miguel Sano under 14, and he had 13 for the final week, and they benched him for like three games because if he wasn't hitting a solo home run, he was striking out three other at bats. So it was amazing. Yeah. And this one, one too, because I, I love Miguel Sano, man. Like, Ever since he was a prospect and like I've owned this guy every single year in fantasy and I'm just waiting for him to stay healthy because I I really do think he can hit 50 home runs. I just I don't think he's ever going to stay healthy. He's kind of a head case too. Like he's had all this off the field stuff. So I'm rooting for you, Miguel Sano, but to break the strikeout record. (laughs) Cheesecake, what's your pick? Well, I I I looked at strikeouts as well, and it is uh, Giancarlo Stanton for career strikeouts. Looks like he has the best chance. Now, Giancarlo Stanton has actually been in major leagues for 11 seasons. He has 1,402 career strikeouts. That's an average of 127.5 per season. Now, he has only played four full seasons in that 11. His four Uh, full (laughs) seasons. Eric is the the biggest – John Carlos Stan hater, I think, out there. We just made him glass. High five, buddy. <laughs> so, in, in Giancarlo Stanton's four full seasons, he's averaged 177 and a half per. He, with his 1,400 now, he is 1,195 below Reggie Jackson's record of 2,597 career strikeouts. So, I think four more full seasons. And four more partial seasons, and Giancarlo Stanton could get the 1,195 strikeouts he needs to pass Reggie Jackson for all-time strikeouts. Now, 
will he be healthy enough? He's only had four full seasons in his first 11. We weren't expecting him to be healthier in the last half of his career than he was in the first half. I don't know. But looking at career records, like you said, they're there for a reason. But uh, he's the youngest guy who has, like, a lot of strikeouts already. So I think it's Stanton. So just to clear this up, I think people give Frank too many problems when he says innings and he says innings because I don't think it's a big deal. Dude, I can't, I can't say it. Like I walk around my house trying to say innings in, in, and I just, once the podcast starts, I can't say it. So I, 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 I don't think it's that bad. I honestly I, don't even notice it until people are starting to say stuff about it. And it's like a big, but our, I want I only brought that up because I think, the, is it Gene Carlos Stanton or is it John Carlos Stanton? But you just said Gene Carlos Stanton. Did I? Yes. I have no idea how. Well, how is it? John Carlo, right? That's what I thought it was, but I was like, am I totally missing Gene something? Carlo? I thought it was John Carlo. Yeah, I think it's John Carlo. John Carlo Stanton? Let's oh, no, no, no. It's Mike, it's Mike Stanton. Say, let's just call him Mike Stanton. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Doc, who's your pick? So for me, it's Albert Pujols breaking the uh, most RBIs of all time. He's Whoa. currently third with 2,100. The leader is Hank Aaron with 2297, so he's a little under 200 shy. Prior to this season, Albert Pujols had averaged 86 RBIs his previous three seasons. So if if he keeps up that pace, maybe even a little bit less, and plays three more full seasons, he's already signed with the Angels for next year. He's going to DH a lot. He's going to have Mike Trout and Anthony Rendon for the entire year, so more batters to bring in. And to reference this, Julio Franco played till he was 48. I think teams would sign Albert Pujols to one or two year deals because he's a name. People are going to want to see him. I think if he wants to play beyond this year, he's going to find a suitor easily. Easily. Okay. Yep. Fair. That's a, I mean, he, he's pretty bad. I mean, he has a, you know, his like counting stats aren't horrible, but when you dig into the, the profile, it's but, pretty but you know what? he's going to sell tickets. And after a year like this where fans haven't been there, they're going to want to see a Hall of Famer like that. If Albert, I mean, we live in Baltimore. If Albert Pools is on the Orioles, I'm not saying I want to go to an Orioles game to watch Albert Pools. I am. <laughs> I'm sorry. Not at this point. Maybe yeah. he's like close to the record. I don't know. Um, so my mine, I, I picked two potential. Um, the, the chance of breaking the Pedro's whip record, he had a .73 whip. In 2000, Justin Verlander actually had a .8 whip last year. So if I feel like it's possible since Verlander just did it or was just that close that there's a chance that that could break, maybe with a, like a Jacob deGrom type of guy doing it. Um, and then the other one, anytime Phil Hughes owns a record, that record is going to get broken. I don't care. I, I can't go. I can't imagine living the rest of my life and seeing Phil Hughes has a record. So his K to walk ratio at 11.63, uh, no one's become that close. Cliff Lee in 2010 had a 14.8 once he got traded from the Mariners to the Rangers, but that was only over 104 innings. And Phil Hughes just burned so many Twins fans, so I, I just have always a little saltiness towards him. But um, I, I think that record is going to fall at some point. I like your call on the whip. Like I was trying to figure out a pitcher that can do it, but I was just having a hard time figuring out something. Like, Verlander was probably your best bet just because like he doesn't walk anybody. Mm. But now that he's like on the shelf, I don't know. Like I think I think um Kenta Maeda just had like a sub 0.80 whip, but it was just like for a 12 star stretch. So 
I mm. probably would have, you know, raised up a little bit throughout the course of a full season. But I was looking at that one too. I, I just I don't know who would be able to do it. Does any like if there had been a record broken this season, would you have counted it as a record? Like a batting average, and, like any record, any record, whip batting average. Like if, if someone broke the whip record, if someone hit over four hundred, would you have given them the credit, or would it have been like no, it doesn't count? No, I don't. I don't. I wouldn't count it. Kenta Maeda is zero point seven five, by the way. So he's pretty close. Ooh, <laughs> that might be a. Uh, I wonder if there's a bet for betting on like a whip thing. You could put Kenta Maeda in there, Eric. Yeah, maybe. You just lose another bet, like you always do. I'm on a roll now. You're speaking <laughs> the wrong guy. All right. Well, with that being said, let's move to our last seven. That's the game of the week. And the doc is hosting this week. What are we playing? All right, guys. We are playing either, neither, or both. And the players that we're going to have, you guessed it, Jose Abreu and Manny Machado. So I'm going to have 10 questions slash situations. And, and you'll kind of get a hang of when we start the game. And you have to tell me if either did it, and you'd have to specify which one, Machado or Abreu, both of them did it, or neither have done it. We have 10 questions, and then I have a tiebreaker. We're going to start with Frank, then David, then Art, and then rotate. Sound good? Mm-hmm. All right, the first one, and we're going to start off with the 2020 season. Had three multi-home run games in 2020. Either, neither, or both. Frank, we're starting with you. I know Jose Abreu went on that binge for a while. How many? Three? Three multi-home run games? Yes. I will say only Jose Abreu did it. Okay, David? I feel like there were a lot of those like slam Diego Padres where he like he had multiple in a game. But then I feel like that that was like Tatis and Grisham and Will Myers and that he homered in a lot of those games, but he didn't have multi home. I'm, I'm going to say Abreu as well and leave off Machado and art both. It is both. Oh, damn it. <laughs> Manny had three games with two home runs. So, Art has one, and you guys both have a big old X. (laughs) All right, David. The next one is for you. Had three-plus walks in a game in 2020, either, neither, or both. I'm pretty sure Jose Abreu barely walked, so I'm going to say it's a question about if Machado walks, and I'm going to say neither. Okay. Art? Neither. And Frank. All right. So, how much do I really love these guys? Because I can't go <laughs> to start the game. I think Machado just had a career high walk rate. Could be wrong about that, but I was just looking into him. I will say, uh, I will say, Machado had a three walk game. He did, and it was on the second to last day of the season. Yeah. Only, oh man. Only Manny Machado had it. Let's go. I got to get All on the board. The next one. Art, we're beginning with you. Won the Rookie of the Year award. Um, oh, gosh. Abreu. Okay. Frank? I, I'm pretty sure Abreu did it. 
He was fantastic his first season. Did Manny Machado win Rookie of the Year? That would have been around, what, like 2013? I will say, uh, I'll say Abreu. Just Abreu. And David. I think it's just Abreu because if I'm not mistaken, he was either around the same time Harper came up and I think there was someone else too and that he just kind of like, I think he was like second or third, but he was with a couple bigger guys at the time. You guys are right. Only Jose Abreu won. Any clarification on my answer though? Is it was there like a did he finish like second to like Harper or something? I think I'm not going to tell you. It might impact another question. Uh, I was about to look it up, so I'm not going (laughs) to. All right, the next one, and Frank, we're starting with you. Has hit 50 plus doubles in a season. Hmm. Let's. I will go uh, just Machado. Okay. David? I'm pretty sure there's no way Jose Abreu could leg out 50 doubles. So it would be if it was Machado. But I don't remember if, like, how much – I mean, he played in Orioles Park where it's homers and usually not doubles just because how small the park is. So I'll say neither just because I feel like it, I can't see him giving 50. And Art? My, my first thought was that Machado – it was just Machado. And it is just Machado. He hit 51 in his first full season. I'm blowing this. The next one, and David, we're beginning with you. Has walked 80-plus times in a season. I'm going to say just Abreu. Okay. Art? Neither. Okay. And Frank? My inkling is to go with just Machado. He's an Iron Man. He plays a lot of games. Volume might be enough. I'll say neither, actually. It is neither. Manny Machado led both of them with 75 walks in a season. I don't think Jose Abreu has hit 70 yet. Well, I'm, I can't. I'm just being shut out right now. Hold on. So, wait. I'm, I have zero. No, you have Gee. one. Oh, I did get one. Okay. So then. Yeah, you got Jose Abreu winning rookie of the year. So after five, Frank and, uh, Frank and R both have four, and David has one. David, you're not winning this game. <laughs> I can. Hey, there's five more questions to come back. Let's go. It's true. All right. Well, we are starting with Art for this one. Burning hot. It's about to burst. And the next one is: has played all all 162 games in a regular season. Both. Okay, Frank. I will say just Machado. And David. Neither. Frank is right. Only Machado. Dang it. (laughs) All right. David, next one, we're starting with you. Led the league in ground ball double plays. It's about in 2020? Uh, No, at at any point in their career, were they a league leader and grounded into double plays? I'm pretty sure there was a year, Jose Abreu, and it was like blatant that he was. Um, and I feel like there was a year in like when he was with the Dodgers that Manny just was slow and lazy and got a lot of, um, I, I'm going to go ballsy and say both. I apologize because Frank was supposed to begin with this, but we'll just get back to it next time. But David, I have you down for both. Um, Art. Yeah, I think both of them did. 
and Frank. Jose Abreu does hit too many ground balls, but Machado typically hits a lot of fly balls. I'll go with just Abreu. It was both. So in 2019, they both hit into 24 ground ball double plays, which led the league. The same year. That's funny. Yeah. So we're, we're going to start with Frank for this one. Um, struck out 150 plus times in a season. I will go with a Braves typically 20, like 25% strikeout rate, 150. It seems high for him. Uh, I think Machado had like one really bad strikeout season. So I'll go with just Machado. Okay. And David? I mean, there's no way I can come back in this game unless I'm different. I would have probably said just Machado if I was 100%, but like, I'll, I'll say um, both in case there was one year of Breu. Okay, and Art. I think it's just Machado as well. It's neither. So the most oh. Jose Breu has struck out in a season is 140 times, and Machado is 128. Wow. All right, so two questions left. Art has five. Frank has five. And David has measly two. <laughs> Two questions left, and Art, we are beginning with you for this one. Has hit five-plus triples in a season. Oh. Um, I I feel like this is a trick question. It has to be a trick question. (laughs) Both. Okay. Frank? Yeah. That seems like a trick question but maybe he's trying to make us overthink and <laughs> done it. y'all don't know what goes in my head get out <laughs> I, i'll go with neither okay and david it depends if i think you're tricking us or not i mean i can't see jose abreu lazing lagging out five doubles maybe machado did it early on in his career so i'll say machado y'all are all wrong jose abreu he had six triples what his- yep oh that's it was insane. a trick question. It, trick question. <laughs> it, it was a trick question. So this is the last one. So Art and Frank, you guys are tied. So David's going to go first for this one, and I have a tiebreaker question. The last one is, has hit double-digit home runs in every season that they've been in the majors? David, we're starting with you. So if like if they were called up like for 20 games, I, I don't remember his first season, how much he played. Does that include that as well? It includes that as well. Okay. Then I, I wish I remembered at the top of my head when he was called up how much he played his first season. Because I'm going to say that that's the factor, is that he got called up and didn't play a full first season. It doesn't season. matter. You're not going to win the game. I mean, I'm getting – this is for, like, brownie points right here. I'm explaining the process. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to say Machado didn't. So wait, you're saying Jose Abreu was the only one to hit double-digit homers in every – Yeah. Okay. Art, Abreu, and Frank. So, Jose Abreu only played like 125 games two years ago, and it was kind of a down year because he had testicular torsion, for what it's worth. Um, (laughs) Yeah, no, that's for real. I remember because I had him everywhere. Um, I'm going to say only Machado. 
It was only Abreu. Machado had seven home runs in 51 games the first year he was called up. Abreu has hit double-digit home runs in every single season, which means Art is our winner for the game of the week. He knows more about Machado and Abreu. <laughs> Damn, I deserve that. Man. You know what? Wow. You got to David, though, so that just, kudos to both of you. Oh, wow. I mean, you always do bad when you play them, so I just have to carry it for you. Um, so, Art, you get your 10, 15-second FaceTime, and then we're going to get Frank out of here. I, I, I was not prepared to win against Frank, so uh, I'll just you know thank the Academy, thank my agent. You know, it takes a lot of hard work to get here, a lot of boring nights on the toilet, you know, uh, and, and your phone. So thank you, everybody. That's awesome. Well, Frank, man, we really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, really had fun uh, being with here with you tonight. Yeah, guys, it was a lot of fun, dude. Thank you, uh, thank you all for having me. Thank you for the fantastic introduction. Uh, you guys were very welcoming and a great game. I wish I could have won, but man, I'm a fraud. I'm a fraud. I, I don't love. I don't love Manny Machado as much as I thought I did. That means you got to come back and win a second or win on your second time. Let me know, man. You guys know how to find me. Of course, man. Make sure if, if you're not already following Frank, he's at Roto underscore Frank on the Twitter machine. You can listen to him on the CBS Baseball Today podcast. Him and Mr. White cooking up some rankings and debates all offseason in their RV. Thanks a lot, Frank. Appreciate it, guys.